Today, we are talking about generational differences, and this is a topic where I just hardly know where to start and where to stop. It's a truly vast subject and absolutely everyone is affected. And to help us understand this truly tricky subject, we've brought an expert, Kristen Scroggins. Ah, sorry, Kristen. Kristen Scroggins of Gen Y. Hi, Kristen. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Ladies, (laughs) rather. Let's go with ladies. Well, we are thrilled to have you here today and so excited to get into this topic. But before we do, uh, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Higher Echelon. If your organizational performance needs some tuning in 2021, Higher Echelon is your go-to solution. Check them out at higherechelon.com, higher, E-C-H-E-L-O-N.com. Kristen Scroggins, Gen Y, give us a quick review of your of you and who you are and your business. Um, we, uh, I don't think we've done a show so far on generational differences. So we're so excited to have you. So we want to know a little bit about you, how you came to be interested in this subject and became the recognized expert for so many companies and organizations. Sure. So I um, was a professor at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and I had this really great, great plan. I was going to make all my students love me. And if they loved me, they were going to work super hard. And unfortunately, that did not happen um, as a Gen X or teaching the millennial generation. And it got to be where the more that I loved on them, the more they expected I was going to hook them up. And so it got really, really frustrating because I was getting the worst quality of work and the mean teachers were getting the best quality of work. So I actually started studying the millennials for purely selfish reasons because there is good money and fabulous retirement in higher ed. And I didn't want to leave that. So I really just did it for my own peace of mind. But, um, As I got sort of deeper in it, I started to see the distinct differences. And now, of course, I love millennials. I think they are the pinnacle of world changers. And thank God they were already in the workplace when COVID hit, because you talk about some scrambling. We'd have been in big trouble without having those uh, millennials already in place who who pivot is their middle name. So I'm really excited to to be um, part of this. And I've gotten to work with some really big, cool clients. It's really funny. Um, I never would have thought I would have gotten to work with things like NASA or Missile Defense Agency. But, you know, government needs some help with this. It's very regimented and they're having a harder time um, attracting and retaining top young talent. And so that's sort of how I got into the business was um, doing the research myself and then starting to spread spread the love. Uh, really what I do is I go into companies and, and organizations and say, we're all weird and here's why we hate each other. And that's that's my main <laughs> shtick is everyone's strange and you're not special and there's a good reason why we all hate each other and um yeah that's sort of that's sort of what I do now is I'm I'm the person that says everything HR can't legally say so it's it's a good it's a good job for me it does seem like a really good gig and 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 very fitting for your personality I I, well absolutely I'm definitely a rip it and stick it kind of person (laughs) I love that let's see Liz you want to kick it off I know you have some questions yeah sure let's just like lay some groundwork here first of all what like what are the current living generations? Who where should we start? Okay, so I actually pulled up my little chart. I'm so proud of myself. So normally, when you think about generations, people look at them in a 20 year span. Okay, this is important for you to know because we don't look at them in a 20 year span. We look at them in what's called a micro generation. So what we have discovered as we get deeper and deeper into research about generations is that what we're looking for is if we can focus in on people's childhood 
and figure out what would change the way that parents parented their children, then that's what actually gives us a new generation turn. So if you, you know, if you ask average Joe Schmo, they're going to say, we've got traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and then the new generation called Gen Alpha. But in reality, if you look at, let's just say baby boomers, the first half of that generation were kids raised in the 1950s. And the second half was the kids raised in the 1960s. Well, did the United States look the same in the 1950s as it did in the 60s? No, completely different. So this is part of why the second half of the generation has a tendency to say that this is all bunk, this is all lies, because we have a tendency to focus on just the older brother and ignore the younger sibling of, of every single generation. So when we started looking at what kind of major events would change the way that parents parented, then that's how we got into our new numbers um, with, uh, with these different numbers. So like, did we parent differently after 9-11? Absolutely. Did we parent differently after the internet came along? after the Great Depression, after the Civil Rights Movement. So that's what we're looking at is triggers that have happened in childhood that would become embedded in your core values um, that would make you look at the world long-term. We don't spend a lot of time saying, oh, you're gonna age into this or you're gonna age out of that. We say, this is a core value, right? So if you talk to those kids, those people who were raised in the 60s, they're still out protesting on the corner, baby. It has nothing to do with them being 68 years of age. They're there because it's embedded in their cultural DNA. So that's what we really focus on. And we take that and we say, here's why you go to war about weird things like purple hair streaks and open-toed shoes in, in companies, it's because it makes sense within that generation's head. And if I can help you understand why it makes sense in their head, you'll spend a lot less time pissed, right? So for me, when I look at generations and what we do at Gen Y, we originated with um, Strauss and Howe, who are the originators of generational theory. If you want to learn more about them, they have a great book. If you want to geek out a bit about this, that's called The Fourth Turning. And it basically says that as much as we want to think that we're so you know, like we're so different and we're so shiny, culture repeats over and over and over and over and over again. We're always going to have a big calamity and come together as a group. And then we're going to get more and more individualistic. And then we'll have a calamity and come together as a group. And this has been happening since the dawn of time in any modern culture. So um, we started with their numbers and then did research off of that. So what we would say is the traditionalist for us, the first half would be the, um, people born in 1924 to 1933. So babies of the Great Depression, right? So that, that hugely impacts the way they look at the world because everything comes down to money, right? These are the people that are still washing off their aluminum foil and keeping all the nuts and bolts from their Ikea furniture, right? Um, I was going to say that about yeah. the, I have my, my grandmother and great aunts are from that generation and my grandmother has passed now, but my great aunt's still wash off their aluminum foil and they'll wash styrofoam containers and reuse them and stuff. The original wild. hoarder show, right, was all, all comes from <laughs> this, uh, this traditionalist because they had, they were trained as children that at any point in time, the other shoe could drop. So you stuff your money in your sock and you put it under. And that's why they've been able to retire because even though, you know, they weren't making tons more money as they went along, they saved everything they could and shoved it under the mattress. So traditionalists are the first half. And then the second half are what we call the silent generation. And again, I'll send you guys these graphics so you can put it up or whatever it is you want to do. But it would be people born between 1934 and 1945. So these folks, you guys, would be... Um, 
people who were kids uh, during World War II. So they're your major sacrificers, right? They're the your, go USA. Like I, I work for NASA and I'll never work for any other company because we are the best. And the reason why we still even give away, like, you know, when you hit your 10 year anniversary and your HR, for some reason, makes a paperweight with 10 years in it. And you're like, what the crap am I supposed to do with this? It's because silent generations love that junk, right? It's proof that they have worked and that they were loyal and look, it's emblazoned in, you know, a <laughs> coin or something like that. And Gen Xers are like, I can't even freaking yard sale this now. What do I, you know, this is, could it just give me the 20 bucks? So um, if you can understand their childhoods, right, then you understand how they got the way they get. Um, so I'll just kind of rip the other ones because I'm sure we'll have questions along the way. But the first half of the baby boomers, we say is from 1946 to 1955. Those are the people who are never going to retire. Okay. They will, most recent AARP survey that I said, uh, that I saw said that 44% of people in this age group say they plan to quote, die at their desk, end quote. Great. What's the, what's the reasoning behind that? Why, so, why are they so attached to their work? I'm so glad you asked me that, darling. So let me tell you. So this is because for this generation, again, what we watch parenting styles, okay? For this generation, their job and their identity are intertwined. They are one and the same thing. So think about this. Their parents were children during the Great Depression. We always want better for our children. So what becomes the most important thing in the world for a baby boomer to have? a job, job. and they don't job. have to be happy. They don't have to be fulfilled. They have to put bread on the table, right? And so what happens is that, that it becomes a, it becomes part of who they are. It's the pr primal source of pride for their parents. And so this having a job and being able to say you work at so-and-so, so-and-so becomes a really big deal. Example, when you meet a baby boomer for the first time, right? You're going to shake hands. Even in a pandemic, you're, they're, they're desperate to shake your hands, right? And it goes through a pattern, right? If you're a baby boomer, you extend your hand, you pump three times. God bless America. Every single time they pump three times. Gen <laughs> Z's will give you one pump because we didn't want to shake your hand, but we know it means something to you. And millennials are smart enough to know that germs are for real. And so they'll like elbow bump you or fist pump you or chest bump, something like that, right? So boomers are going to pump, boom, boom, boom. God bless America. I say my name, you say your name. The next question will always be, what do you do? do? What do you, do you do? So think about this, ladies. We trained an entire generation of people that every time they meet a stranger, their entire lives, they should be able to verbally affirm their worth and contribution to American society every time. And that's why even the women, even the women who chose not to work during this time will say things like, oh, I volunteer at the public library or, oh, I'm the secretary of the junior league. They will always have something to say in that question because doing nothing was not optional for them. So now they've gotten to a point in their life where it's like, Okay, well, I could be retiring, but I've been doing this forever. And we all know in the US, the minute that you say you're not productive, we stick you in a home and boomers are like, no, uh-uh. I'm the one that's out running at four o'clock in the morning every, every day, right? I'm the reason why you have a gym on every corner. So, um, so yeah, they're like, nah, forget it. I'll just die at my desk. So um, their job and their identity is intertwined because of that parental 
um, oversight. And what they were raised in was, you know, right post-World War II, mom, dad kisses mom, makes a lot of babies. They've got competition through the nose. They outnumbered their parents three to one. And so if you've got parents saying, hey, competition is high and you better have a job, then you create a whole new set of rules within your culture about what you're willing to give up to continue to keep that job. So this is why that generation would have missed your ballet recital or not been able to go to all your soccer games because the competition was three times higher than it was for the generation that they gave birth to because they were all told to be a good American. You're supposed to have 2.5 children, a dog in a house. And so they did exactly that. So the next generation shrunk, right? You follow me on this? You started seeing the patterns. Um, So the flower children would have been the children of the silent, right? And so the flower children were at war with their silent parents right? The silent parents were the ones who didn't stand up during Vietnam and say, we shouldn't do this. And their flower children kids were the ones marching around the streets and walking out of their eighth grade classrooms, right? So so what happens is you get, and this happens again on the pattern, is you get people that are very much pacifist. Let's just keep the, the status quo. And we're on a pendulum, okay? So for the, I feel like I'm going really fast. Are you feel like you're drinking from a water hose right now? I'm sorry. Um, no, keep uh, going. It's, it's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, so think about this. I don't know if any of you guys have, um, children, but for those of you that are listening, let me give you this example. You want, right. You, when you, when you decide to be a parent, <clears throat> you take all of the things you like about what your parents did and you move that into the way you parent. So this is how like Christmas traditions go down through, through multiple generations or the family Bible or whether you're Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or, or Jewish, right? That, that goes through. That's not stopping depending on your parenting style. So morals, values, religion, traditions, you transfer those because you like them. But what do you do for anything you don't like about the way your parents parented? You go in the extreme opposite direction, right? Mm. So if your parents never talked to you about sex, you were sitting down with your second grader and being like, okay, let's have this conversation because no baby's living in my house. Right. Yes. So you said I'm saying so we swing in the opposite directions on things we don't feel like they did right. And so what happens is then, like me as a Gen Xer, I'm like, we're going to talk about everything. So now I've got my little Gen Z kid that's like, oh, my God, my mom overshares everything in the whole world. And I'm not going to do that to my kid because I don't want it to be so weird. So we swing. We're always going back and forth because everyone thinks they can do it better. Right. So that's what happens with the flower children is the parents are, are silent on something and their and their kids are like, you should freaking take a stand if you want a better life. And so we swing, right? Yeah. We swing over and over and over again. And then you've got Gen Xers and Zennials who are the equivalent of Prince Charles and the royal family, um, in that they know that they'll never be as ambitious in the queen and um that she is never gonna die, right? Just like the boomers, out of pure spite, that woman is staying alive. And, um, and then they know she, he knows he's never going to be as cool as Prince Charles. I mean, as, as, um, as Harry and, uh, William, right. He's, he doesn't have the look. He's not the cool kid with the hot wife. Right. So he's just Charles. And that's very much how Gen X and Zennials are is like, let's just freaking get through this so I can retire early, sell my great grandma's depression China and move to Costa Rica like I really wanna do in the first place, right? So- Mary Scott, does that feel, does that feel, does that poke a squishy part in you? <laughs> well, I actually have some stuff to say about that, but well, let's- Yeah, let's, come on. I know, well, I, well, I, let's, I wanna hear, so Gen Xers are 
1965 to 81 or so. Right, 65. And okay, so the first half of them, it's going to be six, 1965 to um, 77 okay. on the birth years. Those are the typical Gen Xers. They're the ones that went out to Silicon Valley and started um, the dot-com revolution. It's probably okay. the best way to understand it. And then Xennials are the people from 1978 to 84. So we've never lived in a world without Star Wars is probably the best oh, way to understand it. We're the okay. ones that got the AOL.com discs. Right. So it's a very big divide, even though we're in the same group, we're totally different on how we approach, um, you know, the, the different uh, intelligence, for example, is totally different between the two groups. Loyalty is different between the two of the groups. Suck it up and take it is different between the two groups. So really, we sort of divide as a culture, like 77, 78, we sort of split a hard line. Huh. And Yeah. And if Xers are, Xers are usually going to go up and side with the boomers and the traditionalists, and, and Xennials are usually going to go side down with the millennials and the Gen Zs. So, so you got boomers that are parenting Gen Xers and millennials. Mm-hmm. But, a lot. Yeah, the, those micros are, you could probably marry that. There's probably some kind of a pictographic that kind of lines <laughs> all those up. And- there is. So let me tell you one of the weird things. So that those flower children, those ones that are on the second half, the, the second half of the boomers are also the highest divorce rate in the country. Um, so they, they all divorced, right? They waited until their kids were a little bit older and then they divorced, but then they got remarried because that was what culture told them they still had to do. And you still had to seal the deal, which means you had to have another child. So what happened is they had this weird level of bonus kids that happened on the front end of the millennial generation that wouldn't have happened if the divorce rate hadn't been so high. So that's why you've got those flower children that are both, the hyper helicopter parents over their millennial kids and the do whatever you need to do. You just can't live in my house, zennial parents. So, so you get the millennials and who, so Gen Z, I, I mean, I know there's a, a generation after Gen Z, but the work, <laughs> working millennials. Gen- yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. As if the rest of the world is not about you millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, wait, there's a reason wait, why skinny jeans are cool and it's not because of the Gen Xers. No, I can promise you. Um, yeah, so let me let me give you these dates and then we'll we'll bounce on through. Um, and it probably will help you guys if you if we kind of succinctly do this some way. But 1985 to 1995, and pretty consistently you see the cutoff at 96 between the first half of the millennials and Gen Z in the second half. So technically, originally Gen Z was called the iGen. They were the second half, the ones from 96 to 2005. But the millennial name has been so toxic and horribly used that they were like, I'm not going to associate with myself with these people in any way so they actually went down and stole their little brother's name um which has forced us to create generation alpha underneath them so really the 2006 to 2015 should have been gen z's but they're not um right now they're called alphas and they'll probably start calling themselves they're the ones that are going to get hit the hardest with covid so the names i've heard most frequently there are the quarantineagers the coronials and the zoomers so a generation doesn't technically get a name until they call themselves that. So the biggest impact will happen for COVID to the 2006 to 2015s. But it's open for them because the second half of the millennials went and stole their name. And so they're going to be hit most by it because the, they're, they're currently being parented. It's childhood. Right? It's because it's yeah, of the childhood. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right? All like right, like our kids in that age range are going to wash their hands so much more than any baby boomer ever thought about in their whole entire life. <laughs> I'm, I'm technically a millennial, but I, I definitely don't relate very much to millennials. I relate more to Gen Xers. I'm, my husband's mm-hmm. eight years older than me. 
So I'm, you know, married to a Gen Xer. Can you maybe develop a little bit more? Like you said that millennials are sort of hated and all this. So I tell you, I tell you what I honestly think is the truth about why people don't like millennials so much. Everything that we hate about the millennials, we 100% created as a culture, every single bit. There's not a single millennial that ever woke up their entire childhood and thought, please God, 11th place this year. Like they've, that's not in our nature as human beings to be fine with everybody winning or everybody, you know, not knowing where you stack up against your people. So this was, again, the flower children's attempt to make um, their kids not as psycho competitive as the, as the, you know, the, the Gen Xers had become. Um, Because if you're a Zennial, again, you played a sport regardless of whether you wanted to be on the science team or not, because your parents were boomers, right? You see how you're starting to follow the competitive line. Um, So the, the big trigger that happens with um, millennials though, you guys, is that uh, Dr. Spock's book becomes really, really popular again. Mm -hmm. Um, It had been popular in the forties and then it gets really, really popular again with young parents um, of the, that are in the flower children generation that are giving birth to the millennials. And it switches from children are to be seen and not heard right before that to you should like listen to your child and stop beating them and have conversations with them and don't make them eat at supper time if they're not hungry and everything became about communication in your parenting style. So what happens is we then go those those flower children and those older Gen Xers look at their millennial children and they're like, I'm not going to hit you. I'm going to teach you how to talk your face off. Whenever you feel like you are being discriminated against or you're not being treated well or whatever, you have to learn to take a stand because no one else is looking out for you. Right. So again, you've got those uh, in that flower children where you would have had women that were second wave feminists, right. Who would have been in, in there marching over this. So, um, so they tell their millennial children, stand up when things are not right and do it using your voice, which is exactly what the millennials did. They came into the workplace and they were like, your rules suck and this is stupid and I'm not going to do this anymore. And boomers were like, yes, you will. And they were like, no, I won't. And you can't make me because you can't turn your computer on. So deal with it. So <laughs> good luck opening that. Exactly. <laughs> I dare you to try, you know, like no one does facts anymore. What you going to do now? So I will darn well come in at 10 when I feel like it. And so they had this huge edge. Millennials had this edge of, well, really a twofold edge. Number one, they were not afraid to blow up their computer. Right. And boomers were millennials will control, alt, delete anything in the world. They don't care. It just goes off to the tech fairy and comes back magically fixed. So they will blow, they're willing to push their technology to an ultimate level because they're not afraid to blow it up. Um, and then um, the, the other side of that is that they still have a safe place to land. So because things were getting more and more expensive, especially millennials college, a lot of their parents who were stuck in dead end jobs because they didn't get to go find themselves and seek and do what they wanted to do, which is what all the hippies were talking about doing, right? And then it was like, now it's time to get a real job. And they were like, okay, cool. I'm going to sell the Volkswagen and move into the suburban home. And so what happens is they look at their kids and they're like, no, you should find yourself and be happy and do the things you want to do and don't incur too much debt. You can just live down in the basement, right? And so those same people that gave them that promise of a safe net are now being like, why can't I get my 32-year-old out of my house? Right. So that's the problem is that there was a double-edged sword. They did exactly what they were conditioned to do. Millennials have done every single, like we should be so happy. They've done every single thing we told them to do. It's just, we don't like that they've done what we've told them to do because now it's against us. 
let's talk a little bit about Gen X women. So I, I, I have a theory about Gen X women. I think, I think that they're really stretched. I think they're raising kids. Some of them are raising babies because yep. they're like, I can have a fifth baby. I can have, yep. a, you know, I can be a, I can be that. I can, I can add something else in and they're taking care of parents and a lot of them are working because that we were raised by boomers. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And they're losing their ever loving flipping mind. Oh yeah. Because they're, they're stretched so thin. And yet I think, I don't know. I think like, sometimes I feel, and maybe this is like the only, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I feel I'm in a room. And I think am I the only sane person here. You know, I, I feel that way. And I feel like I just want you all to get out and let me do this. So and I think I'm not alone. No. So why is that? That I would love to tell you. So um, Gen Xers and Zennials were the original latchkey kids. Um, and so we grew up taking care of ourselves and taking care of our own business and being by ourselves for hours of the day, right? From the time that our parents came home and, you know, from like the time we got home from school, let's say three-ish until the time that our parents got home, 536-ish, we we're pretty much handling our own business, right? So what happens is you have a group of people who are very, very comfortable being by themselves in a way that the two groups on either side are not. Um, Boomers are hyper social and millennials are digitally social. And so you've got a group of people that are in the middle that are like, I don't like any of you, right? So I'll just give you the example that I say all the time is no, no Gen Xers picks a workplace because they want to be friends. Like they, they don't, they don't want to go to your Christmas party. Right? They don't want to have a corporate retreat. They don't want to do that. They want to come in, do their job and leave as fast as freaking possible. They don't need to be friends with you. Um, and so, and that's because they, they're used to a world where you had to wait until your parents got home to be even able to ask to go over to a friend's house because they didn't have cell phones where you could get them all day, every day. Right. So you have a group of people that view business completely differently, that don't see it as a social outlet who have been, who have wrapped their lives in many ways around their children because they felt like their parents didn't wrap their lives around them in the way that they thought that they should, right? So, right, we're talking about the pendulum, the idea of if if you as a Gen Xer, your parents missed a lot of your, you know, uh, ballet recitals or football games, you're not missing crap that your kid does, right? You're going to bring them eighth grade cupcakes on their birthday, right? So, it's that extreme to the opposite end. So, what happens is you have people that have been crunched socially for time, right? They don't have enough time who are really in some ways uh, conditioned to be extroverted introverts. Like they are good at pretending to be extroverted. Like we can do it for a while. And then we're like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I don't like any of you people give me the wine. Um, uh, and so, and, and, and so they can only do it in stretches of time, um, because that's how it always was, is we had, we had more control of our free time during the time that was our formative years. And so now, cultural expectations are that we should be able to do everything. We should be able to be a Pinterest mom. Our kids should be able to be fantastic. We should somehow magically be able to work a 40 hour job at home and make sure our kids don't fail out. It's just completely unrealistic. And, and I would say that element of that comes from, I think some that everybody's self-image has taken a hit with social media, but I really think Gen Xers took a pounding. Um, when it comes to social media, because they forget that they're that what we, what we put out there is not the my kid licked the floor, 
right? Or, right, we don't, we don't put that kind of stuff out there. We put the look at my awesome vacation. We don't put out the fact that we ate ramen noodles for two weeks to save up for that vacation, right? We only put the best out there. And so, um, we, you know, we never post that our kids have eaten this is their fourth night of macaroni and cheese in a row. We, all, we only take the one beautiful Instagram picture of the steak that really our mom brought us, right? So the problem is, is that we have to present in many ways this, this sort of, I have it all together, Pinterest persona out to the world because we still were raised with parents that were competitive, right? That was very much about what everybody else thought about you. And so we're still to some degree worried about what everybody else thinks about us as parents and as workers and as females, um, right? We, we're working through all of those things. And that's just a lot of pressure for any individual to deal with. And what's interesting is that many millennials didn't they didn't take that same social media hit, which is is very strange to me. But part of that is because their parents said, there's 7.5 billion people in the world. Not everybody's going to like you. You do you, baby, right? And be happy with who you are. And here, take my love crystal and love yourself. And, and our Gen Xers, our parents didn't say that. They were like, don't get your dress dirty or I'll kill you because people will think I'm a slob. So it, it's, again, it comes down to that parenting style of yeah. the we have that, that mom and dad pressure. And a lot of our moms and dads are still involved, Mary Scott. I mean, that's, this is a problem, right? Our parents, grandparents are still weighing in on when our kids got a drippy nose, right? And uh, millennials are like, ha ha, jokes on you. I'm not having kids. I'm having dogs. Boom. Now what you going to say? You can't do anything about, how, right? So they've relieved <laughs> a lot of the pressure off of themselves because they've looked at society and said, I don't really give a rip what you think about me. I'm going to buy my clothes from a, um, from a thrift store and I'm going to move into my tiny house and I'm going to take my three weeks in Bali to find myself. And if you don't like it, suck an egg because I can always move into mom and dad's basement. And no other culture has been able to say that until now, right? Mm -hmm. So like for us, our parents were like, okay, um, once you get this degree, baby, you, it's on you, right? So and, and I'll get you a box for under the bridge, but you're not coming back in here. So Rach, I know that you've got to be curious about this like I am. You got a question about Gen Z because we're raising them. Or I guess we're not calling them Gen Z. What are we calling them? The quarantiners? Yeah, the quarantine. Gen Alpha is technically their name right now. Gen, Gen Alpha. Alpha. And the second name is Homelanders, which is stupid. The ones that are 2016 and below, they've, they've never lived in a world without tight Homeland security. So, but they'll never call themselves that. It's stupid. <laughs> It is kind of, that is kind of, sad. I like quarantiners. I think they're going to be yeah. very, I think they're going to be very, because I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I think they, they've been affected by it. They're going to be affected by it. They're going to have abiding memories of it. And Rach, we're raising them. What I love about this is that to me, it seems like there's a mesh of, there's family values that intertwine with cultural circumstances, i.e. a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like there is still individual threads that get woven. So for instance, I have uh, two teenagers, one who has spent half of her freshman year was pandemic related and now sophomore year, you know, she, so her high school experience is very influenced by pandemic. Um, she's also of the Snapchat generation. So there's all of those influences. But she's an oldest sister of five children. Exactly. Large families changes large things. Families. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have family values that I would say are much more of the independence, work hard. So anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Yeah. So a lot of zennials, um, actually, this is kind of interesting. Zennials, the ones from born from 1978 to 1984, average four kids per family across the nation. 
Average. So, yeah, they average them. Can you, let's why, that's why all those, um, have you seen all those like Mercedes vans driving around and, and you're like, oh, those big white whales. Yeah. It's not because they're cool, man. It's because they've got more babies and they know what to do with it. So, um, so there's this weird, uh, and it's funny because other grandparents are like, why'd you do this? Now I have to buy Christmas presents for all these people. I didn't like the kids <laughs> I had, right. What did you do this for? Um, so, uh, so I think you're bringing up an interesting point and that is the concept of outliers, Rachel. So there is, there are, there are factors that happen. So you, you talk about bell curve. So I'm guessing you're getting this idea to some degree is that when you have a statistical analysis, right, that there are some people that just don't fit within the status quo. And usually those people resist anything that has to do with generational diversity at all. Um, cause they're special shiny diamonds and they can't be put in a box and that's trash. They absolutely can be put in a box. Um, because if you can take a, BuzzFeed quiz and get, you know, categorized as a purple or a green or a red or a yellow or a dolphin or a, you know, or a Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, and you swear by that DISC personality test you did, then of course you can be categorized. If that's the hardest part of you, then of course we can categorize your generation and say, they were all listening to this kind of music and this kind of movies and there was a war and here's what the economy was doing. And right. As much as we want to act like we're different, we're not, but there are people, that's how we get the idea, Rachel, of those old souls, right? Almost everyone knows somebody that's 27 and they're really into fine brandy and knitting. And you're like, how does this happen? Um, that's like hipster to the nth, right? How do we get, how do these people happen? And um, there's actually a few characteristics that that we see that make people age up. Um, so one of the first ones is like, exactly like you said, um, of being part of a large family. If you are the oldest of five or more kids, well, really we say even four, if you see it, um, then you become substitute parent, right? And very early on, your parents are like, we're heading to the store because we just can't listen to your crap anymore. And watch the baby. Don't unlock the door because the police will take you away. And and you learn to handle it, right? And you're doing diapers at, you know, at eight and you got it. No problem. Um, and then it's funny because in those groups of, of large families, the people, the baby of that is becomes like the ultra baby because they're not just the mama's baby. They're also the older sibling's baby. So even if like, kid number number you know four in this is maybe a year you know a year different in age they'll still make the baby baby they'll make their food and they'll get their juice and but they'll the, the kid one year older they're like no you're nine now you unload the dishes and you make your own ramen right so the, it, that happens with birth order that becomes part of it um, also, we see things like people who are raised by single parents. That's a huge thing because you end up stepping into substitute adult. The more adult things you have to do as a child, the more likely you are to age up and they start to stack, right? So the more of these you have being raised in a military family and having someone go through a deployment, um, uh, having a parent who is an addict and having to manage yourself from a social standpoint much earlier in your life, Um uh, being raised in a small town where you don't have just one mom, you've got 37 moms who have full permission to whoop your bottom at any given time. Uh, your grandparents raise you or your grand, you know, you spend the whole Saturday, every Saturday at Grammy and Grampy. That changes the way that you're impacted. So the more of these outlier characteristics you have, and that's not before we even touch things like my parents weren't raised in the U.S., right? So if your parents were raised in Jamaica, they bring their whole cultural 
narratives along with it too. So all of these things start stacking to make these outliers exist. So, right. So if you look at Rachel's, let's just use oldest child, that child's going to technically fit within a generation, but mentally they might age up significantly. Mm -hmm. And then their youngest in that group might be the prototype, stereotypical, most exact example, because they don't have any of the outline characteristics that would have made them age up. Right. So when you look at those um, generations, when you really get to a stereotype, it's almost people who are in the very core of the generation who have no outlier characteristics who fit it. So I'm going to we're going to I hate that we're going to have to end this because this is fascinating, but I we do a part I, two. I, we might have to do a part two. We really do. But let's leave it here because I this is this is a question I have. Are there any two in the working generation right now? Any like each other? like that just are like at loggerheads and you and, and yes. like the twain shall almost not meet unless there's like some serious active listening and all the other tricks yes. of the trade so who, who so are they do you have a child that acts just like you yes you want to punch that kid in the throat <laughs> sometimes that's exactly what's happening with baby boomers and millennials is millennials are the kids that act just freaking like them. They were both born at the height of their own respective technologies. They were both told to have a voice, to stand up for what is right. They both have come in to flip the whole norms of, of what how work gets done. Think about those younger boomers coming in and being like, nope, women are going to work now. Minorities are going to work now. You're going to give us disability insurance. HR is on the table, right? You had this whole group of people who came in and they're like, no, 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 we just fixed it, child. Don't touch it. And the millennials like, yeah, we hate everything you did. So I'm going to need you to fix it all immediately. So that's exactly, that's what it is, is that you, you've got a group of people that are, while their quote unquote work ethic is not the same, uh, because they both want to think that they're better than everybody. Um, it's really the fact that they're, they're just the same. They, they have opinions. They think everyone else should have to hear them. And while flower children used to print retractions and papers, now millennials delete tweets. It's the same thing. They're going to put it out there one way or another, and they hope you forget later on. And then you've got, again, those Gen Xers, Prince Charles, Jan, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha in the middle. Poor That's just like both of you need Gen to get Xers. a life. Yeah, we do. We look at them more like you need to get a life. Like, I hate all of you, and I still come and do my work. What's your problem? So and we never um, get complimented. Never get complimented. Mm-mm. No, but we, don't, and, we don't really like compliments anyway. Compliment well, not if it's going to require us to have more work. We sure don't want more complicated. Because that's the thing is we've learned is that more more attention means more work, right? So, um, so we're like, fine. If you have to have it your way, micromanager dude, or you can do it in quarter of the time, millennial kid, then rock and roll. No skin off my nose. I made the same paycheck today. So but is it true, Kristen, that all these, for all these positive, for all these negative traits, or not negative traits, but for all these traits that someone else might think are negative, yeah, they're, they're positive. I mean, there's, it just is what it is. There's, there's, it just there's, are. Exactly. yeah, it is what it is. It's, it, there's positives, there's negatives, there's, I don't even know if that's even fair to say. It just is what it is, right? I think, yeah, I think the problem is, is that we all think that we are doing it correctly and that everyone else should modify to us, which has been, that has been our issue oh, no, since oh, the no, history oh, no, of time. Oh, no, I am doing it correctly. <laughs> exactly, right? No, and that's why we sit around our Thanksgiving <laughs> tables and we're like, why are all of you sucky at this? And I am fantastic. Why am I the only normal person here? 
Um, and that's been happening forever because we always are going to think we're the ones that are doing it right. And so the problem, in my opinion, really comes down to the boomer. The traditionalists spend so much time conforming the boomers and making them be very specifically the same to some degree. Just like the uniform of undershirt, long sleeve, button down shirt, jacket, tie, pants. Well, right. They told there was everything was about sameness for boomers. And so the problem is you've got a group of generation that's like, yeah, no, I think sameness is for weekly. And so I'm not going to do that. Um, and so they they butt up against each other um, because boomers want the millennials to conform. And they're like, no, absolutely not. And because they have the out of the softer nest, because they can return home, they actually will long term be able to convert everything about the way we do work um, because they have an out that no generation before them has had in their adulthood. Um, so they've been able to push things to the forefront and make pivots happen because they basically will look at companies and say, cool, you don't want to do it the way that I want to do. You don't get my brain. Bye. And they leave and start their own company or they become, you know, Instagram, you know, influencers or whatever the trend is now. Right. So I can't tell you how many kids I'll talk to. And they're like 16. They're like, what, when you grow up, what are you going to be? And they're like, oh, I think I'm going to be like a YouTube influencer. And you're like, no, absolutely not. That would be like, I'm going to be lightning. Right. I mean, like, it's very rare, probably not going to happen to you, kid. Um, but I think that that's just that sort of that's part of it, right, is is when we watch the generational norms and we watch how we talk to our kids and what our parents have told us and what society tells us, you, you know, you can spend time can, trying to convert people, but they're not going to be that. It is what it is. People are who they are. And you can either look at it and say, oh, man, look how beautiful of a rainbow we've got right now. Or you can walk around saying it's not fair that everyone else isn't purple like me. And so uh, you should be purple. And they're like, well, I'm red. Well, no, but you should be purple. Well, I'm not. I'm never going to be red. You, we can just fight about it. Or I'll just block you on Facebook, right? Whatever works for me. So it, it's that sort of issue of when we accept that all these generations bring totally different things to the world that make us more holistic, that every single one of these facets is vital and these talents and viewpoints are important, then that's how you're going to come up with the healthiest and um, smartest teams around is by letting each one of these people play their role and um, allowing compromise to be made when it needs to be made. Well, I, I, I think that's a, I don't, I cannot build on that any better or ask any more questions after that, because Kristen, that's, that's the deal. That's the deal. It's a, it is what it is. And I think we really should just love it. Just love it. So Kristen, uh, tell our Kirby's where to find you. Oh, I'd love to do that. Well, you can check me out at www.genwhy.com. Like, why are all the generations insane? G-E-N-W-H-Y.com. Uh, and when you go over there, you can see some videos of some speaking samples that I've done. You can, I would love for you to li uh, link up with me on LinkedIn at Kristen Scroggin. Um, I have other social media accounts, but because of pandemic, I have happily avoided every single one of them. Um, and so you, you're welcome to hook me, hook up with me on Facebook or Instagram um, at Gen Y Communication is what both of those are. But the odds of me looking at it for months at a time, as a typical Gen Xer goes, is probably pretty low. Uh, so really my website, and again, let me tell you that as a typical Gen Xer, I hate the telephone. So if you call me, I probably will not listen to the voicemail or um, answer your questions. So instead, do what all Gen Xers want you to do and email me at Kristen at GenY.com and um, just just throw that whole calling part of your uh, phone completely out because millennials don't need it and neither do Gen Z's either. 
<laughs> love it. Great to be with you again today, Curvies. Please support our show at patreon.com slash bellcurvepod. See you next time.